Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of What's the Alternative? I'm your Tyler, you're the listener, and I'm your host, Tyler Herman. And as I record this episode, it is May 2nd, 2021. And as always in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about recent news in the electric vehicle industry and surrounding industries so that you can kind of stay informed and up to date with all the goings on. So... Uh, I'm going to continue the, my kind of trend to hopefully pare down the number of topics that I discuss and talk more about topics that I find more interesting and can maybe speak a little bit more intelligently about because I'm not an expert in everything. So hopefully the episodes will kind of get a little bit more um, hard hitting over time and a little bit more focused on interesting topics. So hopefully you notice that trend. And if you don't, then maybe I'm doing something wrong or everything was just so perfect before that there was nothing to improve upon, which seems like a very likely story, of course. So with that, let's jump straight into the topics. So our first kind of general topic we're going to discuss, some electric vehicle news, of which we have a shocking amount. Um, maybe that's not the surprising considering the, the growth of the industry. But the first news item that I have for you is that GM has announced a $1 billion investment in EV manufacturing in Mexico. So this is a big deal. You know, $1 billion of investment is absolutely massive. This is in a manufacturing side, which of course they need to ramp up if they're going to hit any of their goals and we just need more electric vehicles. So this is kind of a big deal. However, the United Auto Workers Organization didn't like this. Uh, they've called it, quote, a slap in the face for UAW, that's United Auto Workers, members and taxpayers. So I'm going to directly quote from the article here um, so that you can hear a little bit from the UAW. They have a whole statement about this. It's kind of a short statement. And they say tax money should not go to companies that utilize labor outside of the U.S. while benefiting from American government subsidies. This is not the America any of us signed up for. Frankly, it is unseemly. Now, these subsidies that they're mentioning are the ones that the GM that GM has lobbied for um, recently. They're not existing credits, at least not called out in their statement. These are, are kind of what GM is asking the government to provide for electric vehicles. So <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing that they're arguing about that, um, considering the subsidies don't exist. But, you know, the United Auto Workers Organization is going to have their, their take on it, and the statement's kind of making rounds in the industry, and I think a lot of people are kind of paying attention to it. So in the show notes, you can find a link to the article, as always, and there's also going to be a link to the statement itself. It's quite short. It's like two paragraphs, so it's a very, very quick read, just, you know, so you can hear it from the horse's mouth themselves. So moving right along, uh, GM has also announced a unified app, which I'm calling One App to Rule Them All, for EV charging. Now, it's actually kind of funny that they're announcing this uh, this week, because just last week, um, I was talking to one of my colleagues about how we desperately need a single point of contact, a single app, to interface with ChargePoint, to interface with the Blink network, and all these different EV menu, uh, EV charging networks. It kind of sucks having so many apps on your phone to interface with whatever charger you're at, especially when you know traveling long distances or something. So for their customers, for GM owners, they are partnering with seven charging networks to offer single point of contact service for interacting with those chargers, which is just a great idea. Um, again, it's only for GM owners, so that's a little bit of a shame, I guess. Uh, I think I think we're eventually going to get this sort of thing for non-GM owners as kind of a blanket service. I don't know who's going to do that, but I do think that it's going to be coming. This is being branded as Ultium Charge 360. You might remember Ultium is the name of their EV platform right now. And 
<laughs> along with this kind of announcement, they did mention again that they will eventually have plug-in charge for their electric vehicles. So that's where, just like in a Tesla, you plug your vehicle directly into the charging uh, cable and you don't have to interface with an app. You don't have to interface with the touchscreen on the charger itself. It just communicates directly with your vehicle and says, cool, let's go, which makes it just super easy for the, the consumer. And I think it's just a better system overall. Uh, we're seeing this rolling out hopefully in the near future with the Volkswagen ID4 on the Electrify America chargers, although that is not um, currently offered by them yet, which is kind of amazing that they release this vehicle without this technology. But um, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that in the near future, and it's neat that GM's kind of getting on the ball now as opposed to later, or at least this should be coming in the, in the next, next few months. So like I said, this is a partnership with seven charging networks. Um, to list those, it's Blink Charging, ChargePoint, EV Connect, EV Go, Flow, Greenlot, and SEMA Connect. So pretty, pretty large list of basically all the major players, except for Electrify America, which is maybe not a terribly surprising thing that they're not partnering with them yet because Electrify America is a subsidiary of Volkswagen. So maybe that has something to do with it, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe they're in those works. I don't really know. So moving right along, uh, Ford has announced a battery research facility that they are investing $185 million in. So they're spinning up a portion of their company to focus directly on battery research. In their, and this is kind of going into their plans that they've recently announced that they will be producing their own batteries. So I think I complained in one of the first episodes of this podcast that they were not pursuing battery manufacturing themselves which is, is a trend in this podcast. I complain about that quite a bit. And they, of course, reneged on that, on that claim, and they are now pursuing battery manufacturing, and this battery research facility is part of that goal. So, moving right along, um, there is more discussion about tire pollution and electric vehicles. So I, I talked a little bit about this in episode 12 of the podcast, about how tires are the um, cause of a lot of microplastic pollution and particulate matter pollution. And electric vehicles are worse than conventional vehicles for this type of pollution because they're heavier, so they wear those tires down faster. So there is a recent uh, study, basically, that kind of went over some of this and kind of quantified some of the numbers. I think some of the numbers came out to around 5% of the world's uh, microplastic pollution comes from tires, and about 3% of the plastic pollution in the air comes from tires. Now, that's just one study, and that was from 2017. And it's really interesting that, that we're kind of seeing numbers associated with this and we're seeing it discussed more and more as time goes on. I don't think that that's going to slow down anytime soon, but this article that I'm linking in the show notes is just a pretty good overview of the whole issue and it's a relatively quick read. So for anybody who's not really familiar with that and hasn't given it too much thought, I definitely recommend looking down at the article and, and kind of giving that a look. So there is another report and this one is by the International Energy Agency and they suggest that we might have 145 million electric vehicles on the road by 2030, and that's with current policy and current trajectory. So this is a pretty big deal. The IEA, as they're, they're referred to, are um, famously kind of, they kind of famously downplay advancements. So it's kind of a thing where they, they often predict where renewables will be in the future and that sort of stuff. And they pretty consistently lowball the numbers. So, I mean, 185, I'm sorry. So 145 EVs on the road by 2030 is a, is a pretty big number. That's nice. It's up from 11 million that we currently have. And it's not as high as we really need it to be. But 
you know, the fact that they think that it might get there by 2030 is probably a pretty good sign. Hopefully it goes even faster. They do mention that it could be quite a bit higher up in the 200 million region uh, thereabouts if, you know, countries start pushing more policies that incentivize electric vehicle adoption. And I do think we're, we're seeing a lot of that. So this probably is a pretty low estimate, but at the very least, it's nice to kind of have have somebody making these sorts of estimates and publishing, you know, research papers on it and such. So hopefully we see some of that bear out. And then the last bit of electric vehicle news that I have for you this week is that there is a new report showing that, surprise, surprise, we do not have enough battery production to meet electric vehicle goals. So this is, I think I mentioned this literally every episode of this podcast, we don't have enough battery manufacturing. It's just a really big problem, and I'm very glad that we're finally getting a bunch of announcements from GM and Ford and Volkswagen and such that they're building more battery plants, because we just desperately need it. Um, the report is nice because it puts, again, it puts numbers and proper modeling to the problem, so I definitely recommend you kind of look at it. And there are some pretty great infographics in there as well, so it's definitely worth a look over. So I only have one item for the subject of other alternative fuels this week, and it's that we have yet another announcement of a partnership that will make hydrogen out of renewable natural gas. So I've mentioned before that I don't see a big future in this, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but basically this partnership is looking at taking renewable natural gas from stuff like landfills and wastewater treatment and turning it into hydrogen. Now, they are claiming that they have some revolutionary process to make hydrogen that doesn't involve combustion. So typically the way you make hydrogen from methane, which is uh, what you get in this renewable natural gas streams from landfills and such, you take that methane and you interact it with steam and you burn some of it and, and you kind of produce this hydrogen out of it. You strip the hydrogen from the carbon in methane. And that's how basically all hydrogen is made in the entire world. It's called steam methane reforming. So apparently they have some other way to do this, and I guess we'll see if it, it bears out. I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, they claim it doesn't have combustion, and therefore you don't get other pollutants out of the process. Um, the partnership is between Heisen Motors and the renewable fuels company Raven SR, and they hope to eventually build 100 hydrogen hubs that will fuel fuel cell vehicles, mostly garbage trucks, with hydrogen generated from landfills. So this is this is one of those things to me. Like they don't have very many details that they're announcing, so that makes me a little bit skeptical of it. But also, you know, you're taking this landfill gas, which is methane, which is a usable fuel. It's a very widely used fuel, and in vehicles, and they're going to convert it to hydrogen. Anytime you convert one energy type to another, you're going to lose a lot of energy as a result. That's just thermodynamics, you're just going to lose that energy. And the, the energy loss is pretty significant. Um, I don't have specific numbers for steam methane reforming. I suspect it's probably somewhere around the 70 or 80% efficient region. And, and that's probably a, a pretty ambitious guess, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And then you're going to put that in hydrogen vehicles where you have to compress it to a very high pressure, which you're going to lose energy there. And then you have the energy loss from the hydrogen fuel cell itself. You just have all these energy losses by making it hydrogen when you can just burn it in a natural gas engine. And there are some problems with that where you get some of the pollutants from, from combustion, like NOx emissions and particulate matter and, such like, and stuff like that. But I just have a really hard time imagining they're going to come anywhere close to making this an actually lower carbon solution than simply using the methane on its own. So anytime we get these sorts of announcements, I'm very, very, very skeptical of it. And what I really think is happening is they're chasing current existing um, incentives, tax incentives, 
that are associated with what you call green hydrogen, which is hydrogen from um, non-methane sources, non-fossil fuel, uh, fossil fuel sources. So we'll see where it goes, but we've had a, quite a few of these announcements, and I don't think I've seen a single one that actually had a working project. So all the best to them. Anything's better than nothing, but I, I remain incredibly skeptical. So we have a few energy items for you. So the first one is that the United States Bureau of Ocean Energy Management is doing an environmental review of an 880 megawatt offshore wind project for Rhode Island in Massachusetts. So this is pretty early days. You know, they're, they're at the stage of doing an environmental review, which is, which is nice, um, but there's nothing quite solid on this yet. But I love these sorts of announcements, even if they're not quite there yet. It's really exciting to think that we might get an 880 megawatt offshore wind project. Um, on the East Coast. I love these sorts of announcements. I think that offshore wind is a very promising technology, and I hope that it goes forward. And I really hope that the environmental review comes out positively, uh, because minimizing ecological impact is, is genuinely very, very important. And you know, we, can't, we can't go green at the expense of, of local ecosystems, right? That's not exactly a, um, <laughs> it's not a, great, a great trade to make. It's a bit of a Faustian bargain there. So moving right along, the United States Department of Energy, the DOE, has announced an $8.2 billion loan program for electric grid upgrades. So this is pretty great. We've had a few government systems in recent history that are structured as loan programs with a either very, very low interest rate or, or no interest rate that can incentivize what the projects that you want to see. And so big old loan prog programs like this, Great idea. I hope that it's it's heavily utilized and can make our grid much more robust. And there was a big focus in the the press release that is on the DOE's website. Again, linked in the show notes. Um, it's a big focus on on Native American uh, lands and tribal territories, as well as uh, just generally transmission. And transmission is one of those really big things that if you want renewables to be usable across the entire country, you can get around a lot of the the fact that you know, renewables are intermittent, so you end up losing a lot of energy just because your grid doesn't need it at that time. But if you have a very diverse and very um, heavily connected grid, especially across different geographical regions, then you can actually utilize a lot more of that energy without having to waste it or do what they call curtailing, which is where you just literally waste the electricity. So these sorts of announcements are really great. Hopefully it gets used. And again, this is all kind of feeding into the recent push towards infrastructure, especially by Biden's administration. And along with that, it's also worth pointing out that we're really early in this administration. So a lot of these DOE announcements may have even been slight holdovers from you know previous administrations. Moving very quickly for these sorts of programs is, is not exactly the most common. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see even more aggressive announcements like this in the near future. So there was another DOE announcement, uh, a funding announcement. So they've offered $109.5 million in funding for clean energy jobs in coal communities. I think this is super exciting. Um, we talk a lot about the just transition away from fossil fuels on this podcast, and this is right up that alley. So this $110 or so million dollars in funding um, is going to be broken down into three categories, $75 million for carbon capture projects, $19.5 million in coal waste stream projects. So that's focused on figuring out something to do with, with coal waste, basically, and make that into something valuable so that it's, it's not just complete trash. Um, so kind of second life for these sorts of waste streams. 
which again seems like a pretty good sort of project to do, especially with like waste management so that you're not, well, these coal ash ponds and all that sort of stuff that are kind of terrible, finding stuff to do with that. And then the last category is $15 million for geothermal energy. And again, all this funding is focused on uh, relocating, training, and finding jobs for current coal industry workers, which is incredibly important because we can't just have these people losing their jobs. That would be terrible for everybody involved. And just like I mentioned, we can't we can't go green at the expense of local ecosystems. We also can't go green at the expense of, well, humans, right? That's, that's not a good thing. So on to the last topic of the day, we have one policy update for you, and is that the White House has announced a plan for emissions to be cut by 80% for the electric grid by 2030. Um, that's aggressive. <laughs> that's very aggressive. But they also have the goal to go net zero by 2035, which is just, again, incredibly aggressive. So this is a plan without a huge amount of details, at least right now, but it does seem to be supported by multiple large utilities across the country. And, you know, that gives me some hope that maybe we can actually get there. But again, we're getting a lot of these really aggressive announcements, and I think that that's, that's definitely just a sign of things to come. So that is all I have for you today. Um... As always, if you have any feedback for the podcast, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter as ArchDukeTyler, and love feedback. Good, negative, somewhere in between. Uh, as always, if you have any sorts of questions that you think might be interesting things for me to discuss on the podcast, I would happily take suggestions there. Um, and I promise I will get that uh, podcast episode going page by page from that report that I keep talking about. Uh, I will get that to you sometime soon. Uh can't make any promises on when, but uh, things are busy. So as, as you can see with uh, how much news there is, there is a lot going on right now. So with that, that's all I've got. Hope you enjoyed. And if you didn't, don't tell me because I, I don't like criticism. So I'll catch you next week whenever you inevitably listen again, because let's be honest, what's the alternative? <laughs>